Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, as we deal with the second plague that God brought upon the land of Egypt through the hand of Moses. And there's a lot of interesting things here as we look at it. You know, God used Moses to represent him to Pharaoh. And God uses us to represent him to an unbelieving world. God brought plagues upon the land of Egypt to cause them to repent. God is going to bring punishments upon the earth during the tribulation period to get men to repent. And it is interesting that God, because he's merciful, didn't just hit Egypt with the very last plague, the tenth plague, where the firstborn of all of Egypt died. But actually it was graduated with the hopes that Pharaoh would repent. But God said his heart was hard. The more miracles that God did, the harder Pharaoh's heart got. The more miracles that Jesus did, the harder the Pharisees got, hearts got. And we find this even in Revelation as well. So, when we look at this, we realize, gives us a little insight of how God will use us, I believe, in the days that we live. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that you would give us that wisdom that comes from you and that we would handle ourselves properly in a world that's contrary to your spirit. And so now may you just bless, anoint, and touch every ear that's listening. And God, may these things reside in us that we will know how to face the challenges of the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's one thing the Bible says to fall in the hands of a living God. What that means really is that the power of God is really that overwhelming part of life that people cannot really come up with in themselves to uh, counteract. Uh, In other words, when God is dealing with an individual, there's little a person can do to go against it. Let's look at this together. A little bit of review here. Another night with the frogs. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. First of all, we find something important here. God is laying claim to his people. Now this is important because as we read on, you're going to see something. Pharaoh thought the people of Israel belonged to him. God is saying they belong to me. Pharaoh's saying they belong to, to him. Whose people are they really? Well, this morning, that's a good question for all of us to ask. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to the world and taking orders from the world? Or do you belong to God and taking orders from him? God said, let my people go that they may serve me. By the way, that is what a child of God does is serve our king. Jesus said in the Lord's prayer when he taught the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're surrendering our will to God as a Christian to be about our father's business. Do you realize the 144,000 Jews in Revelation, the Bible says, are servants to God. 
Again, when the church is out of this world, God is never without a witness. And so he's got the 144,000 Jews witnessing for him. You've got the two prophets in the streets of Jerusalem witnessing for him. And you have the angels flying through the midst of heaven, warning the world not to take the mark of the beast. Verse 2. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your territories with frogs. I think this is interesting to me. I'm going to smite your territory with bombs and artillery, and I'm going to come in there with an air force, and I'm going to blow your cities up. God says, no, I'm just going to use frogs. You know, I, I think a frog in the hand of God is an awesome weapon. You think about that for a minute. God is on your side. God can use anything to defend you. I often think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. And, and it was really funny because it really angered Nebuchadnezzar that they wouldn't bow down. I mean, it was a public embarrassment that these three Hebrew children will not worship my statue. What humiliation that these three stand up to, to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world. And are, is your God able to deliver you from the fiery furnace? I still to this day love what they said. Whether he delivers us or not, we're not going to worship your stupid statue. I like that. That's boldness that I really believe we as Christians today need. Because we realize when you're in the power of God, even a frog is a weapon. Now, you look at this and realize that you're a child of God. You belong to him. You do not belong to Pharaoh. You do not belong to the God of this world. And when we look at this picture of Egypt and Pharaoh, Egypt, a picture of the old lifestyle before we came to Christ. Pharaoh, the hard taskmaster, which is a picture of Satan. And by the way, he is a hard taskmaster. It says that God is going to bring frogs in the land. Now, we talked about this before, but frogs were worshipped by the Egyptians. In fact, they were so worshipped you couldn't kill one because they were kind of a weird critter. They could live on the land. They could live in the water. They were kind of mystical. And so God says, I'm going to make it so your gods are going to infiltrate every aspect of your life. By the way, somebody said one time, you become more like what you worship. If you worship money, expect to become green and wrinkled. (laughs) So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, verse 3, which you shall go up, come into your house, into your bedchamber, in your bed, into your houses, into your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Mmm, delicious frog cookies. Frog stew. (laughs) Yeah, frogs are everywhere. Frogs are us. Come on down today, folks. They are everywhere. There's nowhere to get away from them. I believe by the end of this plague, they never wanted to see another frog, whether it was on top of one of their human-like statues with a frog head, which they worshipped, or in any other way. You know, it's funny that 
as people will turn to things that would deliver them, they find it doesn't deliver them. You know, if you probably have heard about people who have been diagnosed with terminal cancer, they can be very, very wealthy. Their money that always delivered them through the problems of their life, now as they come to the end of their life, their money, when the doctors look at them and say, there's nothing more we can do for you, it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you have, it's not going to save you from the ultimate issue of your life, and that's death. People will worship many things through their life, only to find in the very end, it will bite them, it will destroy them. So he says in verse 4, And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand, your rod, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and it shall cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand on the waters of Egypt. The frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up the frogs on the land of Egypt. I I think this is so bad here. Because the magicians, you know, they threw their rods and they became uh, snakes or alligators, whatever they were. and, And Aaron's rod ate theirs up. The magicians were always emulating what God was already doing. They could not alleviate the problem, they could only add to the problem. I could just see Pharaoh going, you idiots, we're trying to get rid of the frogs and you're making more of them. Well, this was one of the problems. And they did use their occultic powers. I believe, friends, that sorcery is alive and well on the planet Earth. It doesn't mean it's of God, and a miracle doesn't mean that God is with them. It is spiritual, but it doesn't mean that God is with an individual. Now, the Bible says that the Antichrist, the false prophet, are going to deceive the world through lying signs and wonders. And so people that think a miracle is an approval or, or that which, which is, shows uh, that God is behind them, are going to be misled. We know that through the Bible, even even Jesus said, they'll come in the last day saying, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? And Jesus will say, go away from me, I never knew you. The point is, is that a miracle does not mean that God is operating with them. And I think of the world and how they're set up to be misled through lying signs and wonders. And so the magicians of Egypt brought up frogs too. Well, hey, if you can't fix the problem, get out of here. You're making the problem worse. But that's what the devil always does. The devil always makes the problem worse. And so he says... Pharaoh called for Moses, verse 8. And Aaron said, entreat the Lord, um, uh, Moses and Aaron. And Pharaoh said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the way the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. See, he's acting like the people are his. Now remember, the children of Israel were never conquered by Egypt. The children of Israel never lost their land to Egypt, and thus they were assimilated into the Egyptian empire. They came by invite 
from, we remember Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh was so overwhelmed by the wisdom of God and Joseph. He said, bring your family down. We'll let them live in Goshen. It's the prime, you know, it's the Beverly Hills of, of, of Egypt. It's the very best. You come down, move your family down there and you just have a good time. 400 years go by. Uh, the Bible says a Pharaoh grew up that did not remember all the things that Joseph had did for the land of Egypt and enslaved them and they became their servants. And so it says here that um, he was really sick of the frogs. And so he says, ask the Lord or entreat the Lord, uh, make intercession for me. And Moses said to Pharaoh, verse 9, accept the honor of the saying which I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. And so he said, tomorrow. Thus you have another night with the frogs. He said, tomorrow, come back tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people, and shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from the Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And so the Lord did according to the word of Moses... And the frogs died out of the houses and the courtyards and out of the fields. And they gathered them up in heaps and the land stank. They wanted their little frog gods and now their frogs are a stinky god. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the, as the Lord had said literally that he would. Verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the earth that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I think this is interesting because I think probably Pharaoh thought, hey, I got away with it. This time you don't find Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh concerning the next plague, he just said, oh, he's going to shine us on? Bang. Then you get this one. And so he did so. Aaron stretched out his hand, his rod, and struck the dust of the earth. And it became like lice on a man, beast. And the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. By the way, rendering the priests of Egypt unclean so they could not sacrifice to their gods. Uh, when you're covered with bugs, you don't go in before your God and say, hey, you know, I'm covered with bugs. Uh, let, let's do something here. So God is really not only attacking the gods of Egypt, but he's also attacking the priests of Egypt in that he's rendering them incapable of interceding for the people of Egypt. And now it was the, so, so he goes on and he says here, um, the lice was throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lie, 
lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and on beast. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them, just as the Lord said. It's funny that people will reject God in the many callings of God. It's funny that sometimes people will cry out to God when they have a problem in their life. Oh God, I'll serve you. If you get me through this scrape, I'll I'll come and I'll serve you and I'll do all kinds of neat things for you and I'll, I'll turn my life around. And so God delivers them, but like Pharaoh, they change their mind. They have a change of heart and they say, nah, I'm all right now. I don't need you, God. But the hits just keep on coming. Well, that's what happens here. Now they're hit with lice that covers everything. The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now again, I like this because God, even though Pharaoh thinks they belong to him, God says, No, they belong to me. Never forget, you belong to God. You might feel like you belong to the bank. You might feel like you belong to the credit card company. Listen, you belong to God. And I think that's really important. Always remember who's your daddy. Because if you forget who you are, you will then be misled by someone you're not. And I really believe that, again, when we look at this story, God, even though... Now, you've got to remember something. In the land of Israel, in the people of Israel... Not everyone was serving him. Not everyone was serving him 100%. But God still called them his people. You know, there's a lot of times when all of us in our lives, in our relationship with God, we don't serve God 100%. But we still belong to God. And I just want to encourage you to remember that because you belong to God, God's favor is upon you. And because God's favor is upon you, and He is your dad, and because He's your dad, as any father here will correct their child when they get out of line, your daddy in heaven will bring you back if you're willing to receive the chastisement of the Lord. The Bible says if we are not chastised by God, we are illegitimate. That means we don't have a dad. But because we have a God in heaven who loves us, God will in some way bring us back around to serving him. You know, a lot of times people say, well, how does God do that? I don't know. God has a lot of different ways of bringing us, getting our attention back to him. Now, it's funny. The Bible said it's the goodness of God that causes a man to repent. Think about that for a minute. The goodness of God. I remember reading about a guy who was a very well-known uh, athlete. And he said that, he said he, he knew about God, but he said he looked at his life, the money that he made, the wife that he had, the baby that he just had. And I remember this statement he made. He said, he said, I looked at all this and I knew I had to thank someone for it. It didn't just come by accident that I had a great job, that I had a beautiful wife, that I had a baby that was healthy. He said, I knew it had to be at the hand of something and I sought to know who God was. The goodness of God causes a person to repent. 
And when he began to say those things, I thought, how is it, God, that you do those things? You put in our heart a a willingness to say thank you. And I I believe even our forefathers, when we have Thanksgiving season uh, uh, here in a few more months, um, that there was something within the heart of man that wanted to say thank you to God. I believe God has ways of bringing us back into his purpose and bringing us back into his, his, his idea and the best for us. So he rose up early and went and did just as he said, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, your servants, on your people, In your houses, in the houses of the Egyptians, shall be full of swarms of flies also on the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that they will be no swarms of flies there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. He's saying, look, they're going to be on you, but they ain't going to be on them. So that you will know who really controls the show. Man, I'll tell you, when you think you're God, and now all of a sudden stuff like this is happening, and you realize you're not God, this really, really, you know, attacks a person's ego. You need to go to some of those self-help classes, and I am cool, I am cool, you know, kind of thing. Because poor old Pharaoh now is really slipping away. See, he thought he was God. Everything that he would say would happen. Now everything he say isn't happening. It's funny how God gets a person's attention. You know, it's funny how a person can go through life without God thinking they're wheeling and dealing. I'm the winner. I'm the man that's in control. Don't talk about my future. Don't talk about my soul. Well, and then all of a sudden things start going wonky in a person's life. And all of a sudden they realize that, you know, maybe, maybe I, I don't have everything by the tail as I thought. Well, this is what's happening to Pharaoh right now. Now, that leaves a person into two places. One, either repentance or two, harden your heart. And this is what, where Pharaoh goes sideways. He hardens his heart. And so, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall be. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed this as we're reading along. The succession of these plagues is relatively close. In other words, it wasn't over periods of years that this stuff was going on. It was a period of just a few days. You know, the hits just keep on coming. And so he says... I'll make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. You know, they are disgusting. Have you ever, have you ever seen those really cool salt guns? They're called assault guns for flies. And you put regular table salt in them, you know, the little crystals of salt, and you cock it, and you aim it at a fly, and it just kills it. It's really, they're neat. I I, I like those things. I, I just, I don't think you can do enough bad things to flies. They just, uh, uh, but anyway, um, they were everywhere. 
infiltrating. Now, again, you got to remember, they spread disease. They do all kinds of crazy things. I heard a story about a guy that was walking to, he was going to catch the bus. Uh, this was like down in Georgia. And he was on his way. And he said he was walking along. And he said a fly got in his eye and he, and he wiped it out, got it out. Well, about a week or so later, he started having all kinds of eye problems. And what had happened, that fly laid eggs in his eye. And they went inside of his eye, inside of the the water, inside of the eye, and, and began to do all these things. And he went to the doctor, and this one doctor just happened to have heard about this, and he knew what to do. And the the uh, eye of this um, uh, young boy... Uh, was saved. Flies bring disease everywhere. In fact, some people say if something, a fly lands on your food, don't eat it. You don't know where it's been. Well, here's the problem. They were everywhere. Now, some people think that they, this could also be re- referencing some biting, stinging kind of thing or a mosquito. I don't know. I just use the word fly here because that's what the Bible says. And I'll use that. I don't care whether you're getting bit by mosquitoes or getting bit by flies. Have you ever been bit by a fly? I was down at the river down here, and they have these, they're bigger than a regular house fly. They're like a deer fly. And it lit on my leg, and it bit me and took off. And blood's running down my leg. I'm going, what kind of fly is this? But it was a deer fly, just to let you know there are different kinds. I don't know what kind of flies they had, but I'll tell you my experience with flies has not been good. Anyway, the land was corrupted by the swarm of the flies. Verse 25, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so. Now, what Pharaoh is saying here is, okay, I'll give you guys a day off to go sacrifice. He didn't say they could go and leave three days like the original command from God was. He just said, okay, just take your day off and go serve your God. Moses said, it's not right for us to do so. For if we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God, if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, um, will they not stone us? In other words, they worship cattle. They worship, they were, they were pantheists. But God required blood sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Moses is saying, if they see us making an animal sacrifice, which is worshipped by the Egyptians, will they not want to stone us because we're killing their gods in our worship of ours? So, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away, intercede for me. So he says, so, okay, I'll let you go. You can't go very far, uh, but get rid of these flies. So Moses called Riddex. No. 
Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord. I will intercede. By the way, this word entreat means to intercede. And by the way, for all of us that are Christians, you are intercessors. And in those days, in the Bible, the priests did two things. They represented God to the people and the people to God. That's what we are. The Bible tells us, Paul says, we are a kingdom of priests made under the Lord. We are his servants. And when we say servant, what does that mean? Well, I'm out, you know, uh, scrubbing the parking lot for you, God. No, what it means is that what we would do like a priest would do. You represent God to the people and the people to God. And so that's what, what we do as well. I'm going out from you and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and the servants from his people. But let, let Pharaoh not deal treacherously with us anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Wow, you see this guy over and over again saying, I'll do one thing, then God does what he asks, and then he changes his heart and hardens his heart before God. Then the Lord said to Moses, chapter 9, verse 1, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of, he- of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on your horses, on your donkeys, on your camels, on your oxen, on the sheep, and there will be a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of that which belongs to the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. Because of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the, not even one of the livestock of Israel were dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and did not let the people go. You know, it's interesting. He sent to find out if what Moses said is true. Let's go check out land of Goshen where the Hebrews are. Did any of their cattle die? No, not none of them died. This to me, friends, is really important because of this reason. When God deals with the world, he deals differently with them than he does with you because you are his children. And what will happen to them will be different than what happens to you, though they're in the same proximity. God knows who belongs to him, and God knows who does not belong to him. That's why there's more to being a Christian than apple pie in the sweet by and by. In other words, yeah, I've got heaven when I die, but in the meanwhile, I just struggle through this life, this zoo we call living. No, that's not the way it works. The Bible 
tells us that we are his servants for a reason. Because we're his servants, God then protects us. Do you realize there's so much more to being a Christian than just eternal life? There is a Father in heaven that loves you. And it is weird. I get this question on to every man and answer quite often. And they'll call up and they'll say, well, what is the right name for God? Is it Yahweh, Yeshua? Um, um, we had another one I'd never heard of before. Uh, Yabasha or something, I, you know, all kinds of kind of a transliteration between Yahshua and Yahweh. And, and I'm going, you know what? I feel sorry for you. Because, you see, when I was a kid growing up, everybody knew my dad as Mr. Kessler. But I knew my dad by the name Daddy. I like that. Because, see, that speaks of a personal, much closer relationship than calling God by His name. I call Him by that personal relationship. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Now remember that, that's important. Our Father. That's the way Jesus said we are to relate to our God in heaven. Not some unknowable cosmic force in the outer outer universe, but his daddy. Now, why is that important? Because when the plagues come upon this world, now I don't, I'm not talking about those seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bold judgments in Revelation. I believe we'll be in heaven with Jesus. But when we see the judgments of God on a nation that's turned its back on God, When we see what the Bible says God will destroy a nation over, and it seems like America's got its pedal to the metal in in those very things that God says he'll destroy a nation over, read Romans chapter 1. God has a way of protecting you. And I take great comfort in that. Knowing that in the midst of the fire, God will keep us cool. See, again, there's more than just eternal life. And that's a wonderful thing, everyone. But that God's hand protects you and me in these days. And as we see the world around us, like I believe it was with Pharaoh and the hardening of hearts, God still has his favor towards you. Don't forget who you are in Jesus. Don't forget you have a Father in Heaven who deeply loves you and cares about you and recognizes that you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and that His desire for you is to shine and represent Him in a world that doesn't know Him, just like Moses represented God to Pharaoh in in that world that didn't know Him. And so they see that. Now, what does that mean? Representing God. Well, that means, first of all, I believe you have a heart. And if you've ever offended anybody in the world, be different than the world and tell them you're sorry. You see, the world's not sorry for what they do. In fact, they enjoy being wicked and terrible and stinky and nasty. But we sometimes do offend. We just do. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we do it involuntarily. We didn't know we were doing it. But the Bible tells us when we're like that, what we need to do then is apologize. 
If we've made anything wrong, we want to make it right. We remember Zacchaeus, that little short tax collector that climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Jesus is walking along the road. And there's this little short man hanging out of a tree, probably with all of his garb on. He was very rich. He, he, he made his extra money by overtaxing the people. So you have this well-dressed midget in a tree. Jesus is walking along and he stops and he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm surprised Zacchaeus didn't fall out of the tree. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I must eat dinner at your house tonight. I like that about Jesus. He would invite himself to dinner. I must eat dinner at your house tonight. He comes over to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by the presence of God. He looks at Jesus and he says, If I have wronged anyone, I will restore them fourfold. By law, Levitical law, he was only required to double the, the, the encroachment. In other words, if I took uh, $10 from you, Levitical law says, I need to recompense you 20 He says, I'll give him 40 I am more than willing to make up for what I did wrong. And see, that shows that there was a change in his heart. And I believe that part of our Christian experience and part of we being Christians isn't that we always have a Jesus bumper sticker plastered on our head, but that we have a heart that when we have wronged somebody, they see a difference in us. Then in the world where it says, well, yeah, I like it or lump it. Too bad, dude. But we have to say, hey, I'm sorry. And even when we really haven't done anything wrong, we do that. Now, by the way, you apply this to your home life and your wives and husbands, children. Yeah, I know I really didn't do anything to offend my wife. She's just mad. But, you know, go make amends anyway. That's one of the things we do. Because again, the heart of God is to restore. The heart of God is to forgive. Think about how much God has forgiven you and me for. And if I can't forgive somebody, even if I really didn't do it, Jesus had forgiven them, they don't know what they're doing. I believe that is number one broken record in the world. They don't know what they're doing. But we forgive them anyway. Now, I'll tell you, friends, I'm doing good right now here on Sunday morning. When I get in the car and drive down Blue Lakes, it all changes. You signal left, turn right. You stop in the middle of the street for no reason. And I'm going, what are you doing? I think maybe they might have been abducted. I don't know. The car is there, but no one's at all. But the point is, is this. I need to have a softer heart. Because if I'm going to really represent Jesus in a world where he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, as they're driving spikes through his hands and through his feet. Man, God, I realize I I need you to change my heart. Because, see, I I can get hard-hearted. I can can become Pharaoh instead of Jesus. And that's what they said. They said they first called Christians, who were called Christians, at Antioch. Well, the the word Christian doesn't mean Christ-like. It means little Christ. Oh, look at all the little Jesus over there. Little Jesus is over there. It was a, it was a, it was a 
condescending term. It was not. They were complimenting them. They were making fun of them for being like Jesus. But you know, I'd rather be like Jesus than anything else. You you look in the world, you, you see what it is. There's no love in the world. Have you seen it lately? Have you seen the movies that Hollywood makes? There's no love in the world. You you look at the hypocrisy that comes out of the world. It's staggering. You have everybody clamoring how terrible guns are, but there's not a, a, a movie that is made that shows the lawful, rightful use of a gun. It's all, it's all distorted and warped and twisted and sick. And they want to blame us when they're the promoters of the things that are, are, are killing us. You understand that we're light and salt, friends. But if I'm going to be more light and more salt, i got to have more of Jesus. Moses represented God to Pharaoh. Now, you know... I think it's interesting when Moses continually came to, when he continually came to Pharaoh, he didn't walk in and say, you know, Pharaoh, here I am again, you stinking rotten bum. You know, coming in like, you know, maybe a Clint Eastwood voice, well, punk. You know, I mean, he didn't do that. He could have. I think he should have. Made a really good story in the Bible. But he came in not condescending because he met, and this is so important, he met Pharaoh where he was. I like that about God. He met Zacchaeus where he was. Moses met Pharaoh where he was. He didn't come back in and say, you low down, double two time, and you said you'd do one thing and then you'd do something else. I, hey, listen, he met him where he was at. Did you notice as you continue to read these different plagues, always came to him with the same message, let my people go. The message from God never changed. The way Pharaoh dealt with that is where the changes were going on. Unfortunately for Pharaoh, his heart was harder. Representing God in a world. Friends, that's what we do. I need more of Jesus, less of me. I need more of God's love, less of me. I believe one of the prime examples of being filled with the Spirit of God we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter on love. He says, though I speak with tongue and men of angels and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. I just become a clanging gong and a banging cymbal. He goes, I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything right. And you look at that, you look at all the power, uh, the gift of healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, uh, gifts of, of miracles, all those things. Chapter 12, chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. But right in the middle is this chapter on love. I believe that's the number one purpose of being filled with the Spirit. More love for God, more love for a lost world. And in love for that lost world, not to come to Him saying, you bunch of stupid, rotten, dumb sinners. But meeting them where they are with love and saying, hey, how can I point you to God. That's what Moses did. Moses continually went back to him. Again, 
God's grace is there. He could have hit Pharaoh with the killing of the firstborn, the tenth plague, right off the line. But he didn't do that. He gave him mercy of the other nine plagues. Hey, listen, there's two things for certain. There's a guide. You're not him. What are you going to do, Pharaoh? And Pharaoh hardened his heart. God meets people where they're. God met you where you're at. And if you're here this morning, and it looks like most of you are, um, God meets you where you're at. God will meet you where you're at this morning. You say, well, I don't know who God is. I got drug in here by my friend or my family or whatever. But God will meet you where you're at. What is it that you need in your life for God to show you that he's real? God will do it. Well, God, give me a million dollars. That's not going to help you. What will help you is to know who you are. And you see, we'll never know who we are until we come to Christ. Because Pharaoh, the devil, is a hard taskmaster. Buy this, you'll be somebody. Wear this, you'll be somebody. Drive this, you'll be somebody. Hey, we are who we are in Jesus today. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're being manipulated by the world. I want to encourage you to accept Christ this morning as your Savior. Best decision you'll ever make. It's a point where you say, okay, God, I've lived my life foolishly. I repent of that. And so now, instead of being like Pharaoh, instead of being a child of Egypt, I want to be your child. Where God says, let my people go. You know, God would say that to the devil today concerning you if you're not a Christian. It's time to let Bill, time to let Sally, time to let Tim go because you've held them in the darkness long enough. This morning, if you want to be let go of the darkness, life in Egypt, serving a Pharaoh that hates you, I want to invite you to pray this morning. Ask Christ into your life. Repent of the foolish way you've lived and said, Lord, for whatever time I got left, I want to live for you. And let God do that. He will. He will. He'll arrange the circumstances in your life to serve him. If you need to pray, let's pray right now. You just close your eyes, repeat this, and God will do as you say. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way I've lived. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands to make me the best I can be for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins and he rose from the dead to give me life forever with you. And so now, fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I give my life to you. Thank you for eternal life. Keep me now in all of my ways in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. Because God loves you, and here's what he'll do. You pass from death into life. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And God will begin to show you his promises each and every day. Read his word. good place to read is the book of John, chapter 3. Just read also the book of Luke. Good place to read.
New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read those couple of chapter or a couple of books there. It's going to bless you. All the Bible's good, but for somebody new that doesn't know the Bible very well, the book of Luke, the book of John chapter three on is real good. Chapters uh, one and two are good as well in the book of John. But to just start and read and let God speak to you will change your life. Number two, the Bible says to be baptized, and you can sign up for the baptism in the fellowship hall. There's a list there. You can sign up against this wall when you walk through the into the fellowship hall. And be in Christian fellowship. Those are the things that are going to cause you to grow. Get Christian friends, not the friends of the world, not Pharaoh's friends. You want Jesus' friends. And let him bless you and heal you. Don't forget, as a child of God, who you are. God said, my people. I like that. He knows who belongs to him. This morning, I just want to encourage you. Now, if you're a Christian, you got things going on in your life, you need prayer, let's pray. Let's see what God will do. We serve a big God that can deliver us. And so if you need prayer this morning, let's pray as we close in song. In fact, why don't we all stand right now? And if you need prayer this morning, I just want to encourage you to come and let's just see what God will do. We serve a God of miracles. Years ago, I went to a church in Roland Heights out by Pomona. And I remember there was a banner across the front of the church. And it just said this, expect a miracle. I believe that. Expect a miracle. Look what God will do. You serve a God that could part the Red Sea. You served a God that could take an old, crusty dude and make him brand new inside. That's a God unlike any other God. Letting him be king of your life. If you need prayer this morning, I just want to encourage you today. Father, for every person listening today, may you rest your Holy Spirit upon them. May you draw them close. Maybe we be more like you. May you give us that love that comes from you. And Lord, show us where we lack in those areas so we'll be dependent upon you. I can't love on my own, but I know you can put that love that you have for me into other people. And so, Lord, give us that heart. We thank you and we love you. So may you protect us. And Lord, for those that need prayer this morning, deliver them in Jesus' name as we pray. Amen.